the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars, because the Bible is both timely and timeless. With her master's degree in rhetoric and writing skills, Wendy is a part-time college professor, but a full-time truth professor. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation, the true church rapture, comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ's millennial domination and his eternal kingdom with earth's regeneration. Jesus is coming without hesitation. And now, here's Wendy with today's topic. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me again with Season Watch, and we'll just begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, we uh, we pray for the persecuted church. I keep hearing about um, so many people, Nigeria, um, Sudan, uh, around the world, uh, where Christians are being persecuted, they're being slaughtered. Uh, our nations aren't paying any attention because if you're Jewish and you're or you're Christian or you're both, then you don't matter. And that's the age we're in. And so we pray that you uphold them with your strong right hand, that you are a pavilion for them, a strong tower, God, where they can run to and be safe. We pray that you help them through this time of persecution and that you make them a great witness for you, Lord, and help us as you ask us to go through any difficulties this coming year. We just pray that you are with us. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death with us. And when we're in joy, Lord, we we praise you. But when the darkness comes, we pray that we praise you still. So help us through these times as they're changing quickly. We give all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And friends, please don't forget get to help uh, support the persecuted church, help support Israel. Everybody's abandoning them. Pretty soon they're going to be completely on their own. The world's trying to back out of it without looking like a bunch of creeps, Um, but they're going to be on their own and they're going to try to get them to stop uh, doing what they have to do to rid their land of evil. And we need to be on their side, support them. And you can send money. There's so many displaced Israelis that have had to move out of these areas. There are people still suffering terrible trauma, trying to get on with their lives. And so um, look for the ministries that are supporting Israel, chosen people, ministries, and there's several others out there. And then there's the persecuted church. We've got, of course, Open Doors, and we've got um, uh, the other one, which I forgot. So everybody, uh, look, look to help. Look to put your money where your mouth is. Time is short. You, you can't take your money with you. There'll be treasure in heaven for supporting these um, these distressed. We think we have a hard time, but we're, we're kind of wimps here in America. We're really not facing some terrible challenges. Let's, let's help the brethren, okay? And so, um, friend, I hope you're having a good new year so far. For me, it's always hard for me to leave behind the joys and wonder of Christmas. And I admit I linger in that season long after the world has moved on. And I think that's because it's where God's eternal plans from the foundation of the world finally begin to happen, right there at Christmas. His beautiful plan for redemption became flesh and carried out his eternal assignment, our Messiah. And I think of the lines from one of my favorite Christmas carols, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. They're so beautiful. The doctrines of the carols, they tell the whole story for us. And it says one part 
serve. It says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. And he goes on, it says, Mild he lay his glory by. Born that man no more may die. And this is what God did for us. He's so amazing. He's so spectacular. And so we see in Christmas God's plan throughout the ages that God himself would set aside his glory and come as a man, as one of our brethren, to live a humble life, suffer shame, and a gruesome death to take our place, to take our place from justice. And so he is more than just. He is more than worthy of our praise and devotion. And think about it. No God ever devised in the mind of man has shown a sacrificial love for man. I've asked lots of people about their God that they believe believe in. None of them have a sacrificial love. Most aren't even sure their God loves them. And no God ever promised eternal life by faith alone. And that faith is in Jesus, Yeshua, the Son of God, God himself coming to pay for our rebellion so we could live eternally with him in his glorious kingdom. Jesus did not come to be worshiped. He came to die. And that's why when he returns to set up his millennial kingdom, when we all come with him, we each get a horse. Isn't that great? We come with him after the tribulation to set up his millennial kingdom. All will worship him. Every knee will bow because he inherited the earth by his costly sacrifice. He bought the whole world. When he laid down his life, he paid for the sins of the whole world. Every last human's every last sin he paid for himself. And so our debt is to him now. He freely gives it. We just need to receive it. Yet hardly anyone is willing to accept or receive that gift from him at such a cost. We see in Titus 3, 4, for when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We also see in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, he didn't leave any part of it up to us. There's no part that we carry. He paid for it eternally, entirely. We receive it. And then it says in verse 10, Ephesians Ephesians 2, 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has foreordained that we should walk in them. When we receive Jesus' payment for our sins, we become sons and daughters, and we become his companions in the work, and we do the work because we love him. It's It's a right response to our adoration. It's not the work that saves us, but we do works when we are saved because he's filled us and changed us. And then we we gobble up his word. That's what I'm urging you to do. And the question is, have you received his precious gift? It's free. It's already paid for. He paid for it. And he's holding it out to you, just like somebody saying, hey, look, I got this for you. It's special. It's just for you. I want to give this to you. And just like any gift, you must accept it. You must receive it. And it must be transferred to you from them to you. And you can't just say, yeah, yeah, I know about Jesus. Think about it. You have to know him personally and receive the gift. That's why he died, friend, to have fellowship with you personally. If you aren't sure if you're saved, you can pray 
a prayer like this, and you could just pray it right now in your heart and have that question answered, that eternal question of where you will go when you die. Are you in his care? Will you have eternal life, or will you suffer his wrath? Will you have his help today to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, where he says, I will never leave you or forsake you? That's his promise to you today and forever. And so if you're not sure, if you have that, if you have doubts, then you could pray this prayer. And you could just simply say, Jesus, or Yeshua, if you're Jewish, Jesus, I believe that you, what you've done for me. I accept your payment for my sins. I know I can't go to heaven on my own. There's nothing I can do to get into heaven. I believe you died and rose again to give me eternal life. And so the best way I know how, I give my life to you. Help me to know you. Help me to follow you. And so if you said that prayer just now and you believe these things, then welcome to the family. You have eternal life through your faith. You've been born again. And the faith that has brought you into his family um, fills you with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God washes you from all your sins and clears you from all the corruption of your sins. And your spirit has been regenerated with the Holy Spirit of God who comes and lives in you. It says he has fellowship with you. Jesus said we come and make our abode with you. And it's a beautiful promise. And he will lead you if you listen to him. Start reading the Bible. Look for a good church that teaches the Bible, teaches the truth, the whole counsel of God, and pray God will lead you to the right place. And so you must follow him. Time is short, as we've been saying. The season is short. He's coming soon. And so this promises to everyone, as Paul described, both Jew and Gentile. Many Jews are coming to faith in their Savior, Yeshua, in Hebrew, which means salvation is the same. It's the same word that we say, Jesus. And we have to remember that, that it's the same Savior. And it's actually to the Jew first, as Jesus said, and then to the Gentile, right? And he came through the promises of Israel, through David, through his daughter, Mary. Mary was in the direct bloodline from King David, through King David's own son, Nathan, little talked about. But you could see this lineage from David directly to Mary in the Gospel of Luke. And so you could check that out yourself. And if you have Jewish friends, you could point them there. That Matthew is the legal lineage through uh, Joseph, his legal father. But Luke gives the bloodline lineage through his mother, Mary. And so all the promises of salvation are for the whole world. Every tribe and nation and everyone is saved the same by faith alone, not by any kind of works, not by any other thing. And we cannot earn it. All other faiths require followers to perform some system. And even then, they're never guaranteed eternal life. Only the creator God of the Bible gives eternal life freely by faith alone. And he did it as as promised through the sacrifice of his son. And so friends today, fasten your truth belts as we discover Yeshua, the Lamb of God, and our good shepherd. So the word of God and the counsel of all his plans are so perfect. As we said last week, God's plans are manifold, meaning that they are not linear, moving in only one direction, but they're so multi-layered we can never reach the end of our discoveries. It's like DNA. If you've ever thought about DNA, the more scientists look, the more complexity they discover in the structures, instructions, functions, and contingencies of the genetic code. We'll never discover it all. It's so amazing. And it's, of course, it's a language. What's a language doing inside of a biological thing? Only 
uh, an intelligent designer can create a language. And so when we investigate the Word of God, even a little, we discover manifold layers of significance and types and the complexity even in the simplicity of his magnificent plans. Let's just begin with Jesus or Yeshua, the promised Messiah, who was both prophesied and then actually born in Bethlehem, where his father, King David, was also born. And if we look at the significance of Bethlehem, which means house of bread, we also learn that this town, located only a few miles from Jerusalem, was famous in Jesus' time for another product. It is actually where flocks of sheep were raised to provide the sacrificial lambs to be brought to the temple, which was the prescribed atonement for sins. Worshippers coming to Jerusalem needed to offer a sacrifice for their sins, and the priest's office also offered daily sacrifices at the temple, which God had decreed in Levitical law. And we see this in Leviticus 17.11, when God says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And so that's revealed in God's law to Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. And so the shedding of innocent blood, the blood of lambs most prominently, was the only way to express contrition for sins and to come before God to have sins covered by the blood of the innocent lamb. And by the time of Jesus' day, the raising of lambs became a great industry because Jewish worshipers would come from all over, not only Israel, but the whole Roman Empire to return to Israel, to return to Jerusalem. And they needed a spotless lamb available for each worshiper to come up, especially at the priest, at the feast. And they would have to bring it before the priest. It should be, it had to be uh, examined and it would be a humble sacrifice and have the blood of offering uh, to be sprinkled on the altar for the atonement of their souls, of the offerer. And this Levitical system continued until the promised one came to offer the final sacrifice, the perfect shed blood of God made flesh, savior of the world. The sacrifice of a spotless lamb pointed to this promise of a Savior and was to be an act of deferential worship to God when you humbly acknowledged your sins, which separate us from God. And we see this in Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And then we see in Ezekiel 18:20, for the soul whose sins shall die. So that's our problem, and God's solving it. And this system of setting aside the best of the innocent lambs for a substitutionary sacrifice actually dates back to the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve fell. And that's when God himself showed Adam and Eve what the temporary atonement for our sin would be when God himself offered the first sacrifice, the first death in his beautiful creation, spoiled by our rebellion, by falling for the tricking of Satan. And the first death in creation was a sacrifice as a consequence of their sin. And so we see this in Genesis 3, 7 and 21. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse 21. And for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made coats of skins and clothed them. And then he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. But notice that their own effort to cover the sin was not good enough. They just used fig leaves. And so God sacrificed an innocent animal to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve since they lost their own innocence. 
and their spiritual cloak when that eternal life died in them as a consequence of sin. The first thing that died was their innocence and the spiritual eternal life in them from God. And that innocent sacrifice became the only means of atonement by humbling ourselves and admitting our sin and then laying the guilt on the innocent animal who would then suffer the consequences of our rebellion in our place. This is because God had placed all of creation under Adam and Eve. And when the head of creation sinned, it brought death and corruption into the whole world. So now the whole world suffers under the curse of humanity's rebellion, as Paul described in Romans 8, beginning in verse 19. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. And so the cost paid for our rebellion is not ours alone to bear. All of creation is subject to corruption and death because of our sin. And so by obediently shedding the blood of an innocent sacrifice as God had modeled it, and that became our humble acknowledgement that others suffer and would die for our sin, which pointed to the coming Savior. It takes a humble and contrite heart to come to the Lord, admit our wrongs, and recognize the cost and consequences for our sin by offering a sacrifice. But we see that Satan offers an alternative to humanity. He offers us pride. Pride says that we're good and that we have not committed sins, that we don't need anyone, and that we have nothing to apologize for. Pride rejects the acknowledgement of rebellion against God and rejects the entire sin and death relationship. Pride rejects the need for humility and atonement. And so we see this rebellion right away in the dichotomy of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. So Abel was a keeper of sheep. And we see him as one who understands what was lost in the rebellion. He seems to be humble and living the life of atonement, always thinking about the need for a savior, as promised in Genesis 3.15, through the seed of a woman. And this seed of the woman would crush the authority of Satan and thereby sin and death after we had surrendered our soul dominion to the serpent in our rebellion. And so this savior would be wounded in the process of gaining back the dominion. And so humble Abel kept those very animals that humanity would need in order to atone for their sin, as the Lord himself had modeled for them in the garden. Abel kept the sheep safe and watched over them. He loved them and tended to their needs, knowing that the best of them would be chosen to pay for the sins of himself or any of his family members who needed them. And his offering was of the best of his flock, as we see in Genesis 4, 4. And he offered for himself. And we glean from these few verses that Abel lived a life aware of his constant need of salvation, humbly walking with his God. But Cain was a farmer, and he offered only the fruit of his crop to the Lord, which is not an offer of atonement, but pride. He was proud of being a good farmer. And we find in Genesis 4, 5 through 7, that God rejected his offering of the fruit of the ground and warned him that sin was going to overtake his soul and rule over him. But Cain became angry at being rejected and 
uh, when he was talking to Abel, he rose up and killed him, hating that his brother and his offering were accepted. Then he refused to admit what he had done to God. Instead, he mocked God in Genesis 4-9. And we see in Genesis 4-9, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Isn't that ironic? It's the same idea, keeping of the brother, keeping of the sheep, the shepherd. Verse 10, and he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And so we see in anger, Cain killed his righteous brother and refused to admit his sin. He mocked God instead of answering him like a man. One of my brother's keeper, right? But he whined about his punishment to banish him and take away his occupation of farming. He whined about that. He killed his brother, which is very permanent, you know, until the regeneration. And he whined that, he could, that, that God had the nerve to punish him at all. And so we see his whole family became the root of evil that spread uh, until the Noah's flood. And the proud do reject God as their creator and their authority. The proud, we see it today. This is the same theme. They refuse to admit their sin. They want to be their own God. So ironically, Abel was a keeper of sheep and became the first shepherd to also die for the sinner, which points to Jesus, of course. For Jesus would fulfill all the prophecies as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as John said, from the beginning of time until the end of the age, and reconcile us to God through the promise of restoration in him, as described in Hebrews twelve twenty two. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. What a beautiful promise to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. That's us, those of us who receive forgiveness of sins through Jesus. We're the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And so we see this correlation in Hebrews, which points out that the blood of Jesus speaks of greater things than that of Abel, the first man to die, as the just for the unjust. Jesus said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. So when he tells us, when he sells us his pride, he's selling us the spirit of murder. And thousands of years later, after God brings Israel out of Egypt and the covenant had been given to them, the law of sacrifices for sin, we see the theme of the shepherd and the sheep pick up again. And we find it in David, the one chosen to bring forth the Messiah, chosen to be king, was himself also a shepherd. And we begin to this, and just as we began this episode, David was born in the city of Bethlehem and was the shepherd of his father's sheep in the very place that later would be known for the sacrificial lambs raised as offerings for sin. This David was thought little of in his family and spent humble days alone with the sheep and with his God and developed a shepherd's heart and cared for them with tenderness, later becoming one who would shepherd God's people of Israel 
as their greatest king, as Second Samuel 7, 8 says, Now therefore shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler of my people Israel. And this David who wrote Psalm 23 and understood all the responsibility for caring for the sheep and to keep them safe was as the Lord cares for those who love him. And this points to the one who would be born in Bethlehem, where the shepherds watching their flocks by night were told the glorious news of the Savior wrapped in swaddling cloths, wrapped in the strips of cloth commonly used to protect the sacrificial lamb that was going to be used to sacrifice an atonement for sins. And so our Savior is ultimately both the sacrificial lamb and the shepherd and leading his people, giving himself for them and the Bible as it foretold. Uh, Isaiah 40.10, Behold, the Lord shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. And I will establish, Ezekiel 34.23, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David, He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And so we know that Jesus is the good shepherd, the one who gives his life for the sheep. And he says to us today, follow me. He asks us to follow him. As he sacrificed for the Lord, we must sacrifice, lay aside our lives to follow him, the good shepherd, and trust him as we go forward into this year Follow him devoutly, trusting him, watching him, and loving him. And so we ask you to do that today. And until next time, God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.